Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg. I'm delighted to be joined today at the beautiful City Open in Washington, D.C. by another beautiful person of Washington, D.C., Lindsay Gibbs. I meant not to say that I'm beautiful, because I think the tournament's beautiful, Lindsay's beautiful. I'm not saying anything about myself. Ben, it's okay. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? I'm just going to cut you off when you start. Please, that. please do that. <laughs> Lindsay writes about sports for Think Progress, which is a liberal, progressive-minded website covering all sorts of social issues, political affairs, things like that, and you cover sports for that. Yes. And I'm curious, so we'll start with sort of a little background on you, like how, how would you describe to people, I'm sure you do this all the time, like how <laughs> you, what your beat is within sports, and are people like, is there enough to cover there? Like, I think the answer is an affirmative yes, uh, but what do you do? Yeah, so, I mean, I like to say I'm a sports reporter who doesn't stick to sports um, in a general Hashtag sense. Hashtag stick to sports, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and proudly am that. So I look at basically the off-the-court uh, things that are happening um, to our players that we love on the court. So whether it's um, racism, sexism, homophobia, I cover those, all the isms in sports yeah. a lot. Um, I also cover... Uh, Politics. So whenever athletes are making political stances, those are things I cover. Um, also, domestic violence, sexual assault yeah. in sports. Um, you know, by athletes. Yeah. Yeah, by athletes. Um, and you know, and any great power imbalances. You know, the NCAA, any abuse of power within sports, which you see a lot. So I would say that I. Um, uh, I'm never bored. <laughs> There's never, you know, I do get that question of people asking, you know, well, what do you write about? Is there enough to yeah. cover there? Is yeah. there enough to cover? But I, I will tell you that I think I have never once spent a long time searching for a topic. You yeah. know, there's plenty, plenty there. There's a lot in tennis also, and I'm just in general. And I'm curious, we'll get, uh, I guess, obviously tennis is a sport you have followed for a long time. I met you yeah. through tennis Twitter, yeah. whatever that thing is. Uh, early on, you were an early adopter, way ahead of me. Um, what, I guess, so describe, I guess, your sort of roots in tennis, and we'll get into sort of how tennis touches your issues. But first, just your own tennis background. I think you were the only Sam Query fan I was aware of. Oh, God. Is that, that can't be my reputation. <laughs> Wimbledon semifinalist, you got on early. You got on yeah, early. you know, it was a... <laughs> It was a long con, is what it is. You know, it's a. You um, <laughs> can describe Sam Quarry's career. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, okay, so I was. Uh, I've always been a sports fan, but I never was specifically a tennis fan until I saw Andy Roddick on a late night talk show when I was in middle school okay. and I thought he was super dreamy and then I caught him on television so this is why this is why tennis needs to be on television all the time because when you're just I was just channel surfing one day and there he was playing and I really didn't stop watching tennis after that I mean for for years I just watched the big events you know the U.S. Open some of the summer series and Wimbledon um, didn't really not know much of what was going on elsewhere, but as I as I got older, I mean, just from watching those tournaments so religiously, I got to know all the players. Yeah. You know, if you if you sit there at Wimbledon in front of the TV from six in the morning till you know, you're going to get to know these yeah. players. 
and these personalities, and I just loved the sport. I started um, getting to know people on Tennis.com, Tennis World, those old days, Pete Bodo's blog, started commenting on that. That, that was kind of my first foray into talking a big community talking for a lot to of people. people on the yeah. internet, yeah. And that quickly for me became Twitter because I was, I had just uh, graduated from college and was working on film sets because I went to film school and I wanted a way to follow like the French Open and stuff like that when I was on these film sets and so I down like Twitter became this great way to like follow these tournaments yeah. and and then I started blogging about tennis uh, a few years later changeover uh, yeah started my own site the changeover which we were very proud of it's still still it, it's still there it still posts some every now and then but um yeah, and that kind of led me to, tennis is really what led me to what I'm doing today, not only because I kind of found my voice online through my yeah. tennis fandom, but also I started really paying attention to how we talked about the male players versus how we talked about the female players, like on these big stages. And I always say that in tennis, it's always a great example of this because you have the same media covering them at the same tournaments, you know? Yeah. It, it's very... Same sport. Yeah, it's the same sport, same stage, same media, right? So there's a lot of apples-to-apples comparisons there, which you don't often get between men's and women's sports. But seeing how we talk, you know, these the female athletes were talked about, that that's really when I started yeah. writing about this stuff. I think your sort of, I'll say most, like, viral piece that you wrote within tennis, I think was a was like sort of like a guide on how to talk about women's tennis. Is that right? I remember this. It was for Changeover, right? No, this is for Sports on Earth. So Sports this, on Earth, this, okay. This is when I was freelancing. And yeah, I just kind of wrote a and guide. If you, if you can nutshell like what some of those ideas were, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was uh, stop saying that they have to pay, play five sets to be equal because yeah. that's a stupid argument. And I, if you want to know why, I also last year wrote for the Think Progress a breakdown of why women don't play five sets at Grand Slams. Yeah. I went way back into tennis history. Um, you know, and it was also things like don't compare, uh, don't don't see if Serena can beat a man. So John McEnroe did not read that tip. Oh, God. Uh, it was don't refer to them, you know, predominantly by their outfits or body, you know, shape. If something, if their fitness is impacting their match, then you talk about it. If it is not, do not talk about that. You know, things like that. Um, you know, and these are things we see violated all the time. Yeah, the, yeah, and these it, are. It's it's a uh, it's a more of a, a frequent you know frequent uh, infractions kind of thing. Don't talk about their hormones, but still, <laughs> and still, <laughs> you think that would be such an easy thing to follow? Yeah. And, uh, and and yet it's not. I wanted to get back to something you said earlier, just in passing, um, and I just use it as a different as a way to get into this. But you mentioned in passing the how it's important for tennis to be on TV, and <laughs> WTA has had issues with this. Has um, it? Has it has <laughs> this year particularly um, for a multitude of reasons? I mean, it, it's a little bit complicated, and they haven't always been the most forthcoming with all the behind the scenes. So it's tough to. I don't think they've done a great job communicating their own issues, first and foremost. They left a lot of fans and people in the dark about progress updates on the streaming, on the switch from tennis channel in the U.S. for international events to, inter- I mean, means international mean not domestic, not international level tier. Um, uh, we could talk about their also event naming system yeah, if you exactly, would like. <laughs> exactly. But, so, they left tennis channel, uh, essentially, tennis channel was outbid by beaten sports. And that's, that's the other thing, like, tennis channel deserves some blame, if you want to call it that here because they did not pony up as much money as BN, which is why WTA took its uh, product elsewhere. But I think it's being showcased pretty poorly on BN. It's just world feed with no additional commentators, and they cut out of matches all the time to show soccer and things like that, and it's on a streaming service. 
which very people have access to because it's a pretty obscure ten, uh, kite cable channel. It doesn't even have the subscriber base of Tennis Channel, which is already a small channel. So to find a smaller channel than Tennis Channel is a feat. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I think it's weird, but I guess, but I'm just, to bring it back to your, because you cover all sorts of women's sports and you follow and, and I think sort of try to promote women's sports a lot on your own feed. I see you live tweeting, you know, various WNBA games or things like that. And so you're aware and you've covered down to like the NWHL, which is the Women's National Hockey League, mm-hmm. uh, National Women's Hockey League, to get the acronym in the right order. <laughs> and that's a tiny league. That's, that is a league that's just starting. Fair to call it fledgling, probably. Yeah, uh, startup yeah. is and, the word and they so, like. Yeah. Right, startup <laughs> is the word they like. So comparing that to women's tennis, um, which is obviously sort of the, 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 the standard bearer of women's sports, uh, even if not perfect, but it's at least the, the top most established women's sport. How do you? How important is exposure and consistent availability of being able to watch uh, matches? To, to, to have a leading question, it would seem like a basic thing for a sport that you want to grow and sustain. That was quite the question, Ben. Yeah. Um, but uh, it it's very important is yeah. the answer. I mean, you you have to be able to see the product, you know. And of course, look, diehard fans like us are always going to be able to find their way to a stream, right? Um, usually. Not usually, and I mean, so of course, sometimes we can't, but you know, we'll 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 hunt down. But you want, I mean, you need TV because you need the great n- millions of people watching TV to have a chance to find you. To find you accidentally. And to find you accidentally. Like I said, I mean, I literally like saw Roddick on ESPN, and this was after seeing him on a talk show, and this was before he had, you know, was a huge star or anything. You know, he was yeah. just kind of the next big thing, and. And that's how I started watching, and that's how I, I fell in love with the sport, and that's how you get to know these players, and that's how you get to become a fan. You can't become a fan of something you can't see. And am I right that WNBA at least is on, does stream on like Twitter? It, yeah, so that's yeah. a new thing this year. So yeah, the WNBA, all women's sports leagues have issues with this. Um, but the WNBA this year, yeah, started a, a, there's I think a game a week on Twitter, and it's fantastic. I think, I mean, Millions upon millions of people have seen, you know, at least clips of WBA games. At least it's like, yeah, they're getting getting exposed to it, right? And they see people sharing it and and can get exposed to it. And and little things like that, like uh, WNBA has also been on daily fantasy sites this year for the first time. And that's picked up a lot of fans because people are just paying attention to it. It's anything to get in the consciousness, right, of people. That's something you can't take for granted, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm curious just to sort of zoom back to tennis. I'm curious, just from a, like I mentioned before, the sort of standard bearer type thing. How is women's tennis and WTA and its athletes and its superstars, like your Serena Williamses, your Venus, your Sharapova down the line, how are they seen by, I don't know if it's something you talked about directly or indirectly, by female athletes in other sports? Players like hockey players, like NBA, WNBA players or soccer players, whoever are these sort of people who are making far less money than women's tennis players, are they seen? As, are they sort of envied, or, or are they the sort of leaders, or how, how, how would you, to the sense, I don't know if you have a sense of this, but how would you say that women's tennis is viewed by other women's sports? I don't have a great sense of it, to be honest, yeah. right? It's not, it's not something I talk about much, and I think that um, it, it's different than the team sports, right? It just is. It's just very different. But, I mean, Serena and Venus are icons, and you see them cross over a lot for a lot of different reasons, just into the American consciousness. And I, so I certainly hear them talked about and them appreciated by athletes from all across the board, yeah. And just in general, I guess, big picture, and we'll, we'll go into a couple more specific topics, but with your sort of remit to look at the sport how you do, at uh, sports world how you do, 
What do you see in tennis in terms of where it's at in terms of social issues? Does it have itself more together? You know, is it more far, far along than other places? Is it remedial in some ways? Is it places could, you know could do better? Could, is it is it good bad? How do you how do you see tennis? Yeah, I I think it's interesting because obviously as far as gender equity, even though there are still a whole lot of problems with tennis, um, it's far it's far farther along than thanks to Billie Jean King pretty much kickstarting this 30 years earlier than anyone else was willing to have the discussion, you know. Um, You have tennis that's just farther along. That doesn't mean we should coast in tennis, and I think that's something important to to remember, right? That doesn't mean that we're done fighting, right, or that these players are done fighting. Um, But it it does mean it's farther along, and it's fun to, to look at and experience and to see these women making all of this money is I love it. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like that's a big deal. Like, like that you can't yeah. take that for granted. You know? I mean, because like because WNBA salaries are usually five figures, right? Yeah. 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 For for, for most of them, they're five figures. They make more overseas, but um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so that's like a third round at a slam. Right. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, it, yeah. If yeah, if yeah. that you know, for for some of them, I think the minimum you know rookie salary is around fifty k. You know, yeah. and that's which is literally I think the first time prize money at the U.S. Open this year. Yeah. Which is a whole other issue. That's probably way too high. Yeah. But, but and that's for it. that's for a like a five or six month season, you yeah. know. So, anyways, it's a it's a it's an issue, but um, but so, so I love seeing the women make all this money. But I think on social issues, it's not as far along as I would necessarily like to see it. I mean, I think that the tours themselves seem to be involved in little to no. Um, I don't, activism isn't even the right word, but outreach, I would say, to marginalized communities. Yeah. And, I mean, I know we're, we're planning on talking about this in a little bit, but as far as especially the LGBTQ community, which I know is a large portion of, of tennis fans, and obviously you had, um, you know, now Martina and Billie Jean really paving the way uh, for, you know, our athletes in sports. And to see that a lot of that progress has stalled, you're yeah. not seeing many, you know, you see zero pride events. And yeah, I was going to say, they're not yeah. even like paying a lip service, which, yeah. is kind of the strange, which is kind of the strange thing to me. Like, it's one thing to, you know, make it a key thing. I think this has been something, and you obviously know more about this than me, you can speak with more authority and correct whatever, I get about, correct whatever I'm about to get wrong here. But like, WNBA has embraced... It's it's gay fan base and it's gay players and it's a very sort of out and proud league. It seems like for the most part now, and you see them cluing in in this way that w, that the and having all sorts of pride events every team. And I think there's something even like I want to say there's some number like more than definitely more than two thirds of the major league baseball teams have had sort of like LGBT pride night things like that. Tennis, women's tennis, which I like to joke invented lesbianism. <laughs> I mean, in most people's minds, honestly, because the most the, the most prominent lesbians. And social consciousness in the U.S. anyway, for most people, were Martina Navratilova yeah. and Billie Jean King. And then Ellen Generous came along in the 90s later. But it really was those two who were sort of first first movers in this market, which is a strange way to talk about that. But it, it is true. And there was no, I don't think on any WTA social channel, I could be wrong, but I certainly didn't see any sort of pride acknowledgement or event or anything that I can ever remember that's like an outward step. And it's, it's just strange that they, they had this sort of opportunity to sort of celebrate their pioneering role in this and they seem to have totally um, totally neglected that opportunity and men's tennis also I mean oh. ATP has done equally zero I mean zero and zero are equal maybe negative on the ATP maybe negative, maybe <laughs> negative but, 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 but I think WTA is the one where you'd really think 
Right. Because, because, because yeah, because, like, the NHL does stuff. I mean, NHL yeah. is, like, I mean, like, and they all, and honestly, it's a cheap way to sell merch. Turn your le- logo rainbow and you sell merch and it's easy and people will eat that shit up. It's just, yeah, it's a statement, you know, of, of who you are and who you want to be and yeah. the values you promote, right? And it's, it is sad for me as a, you know, as a fan and as someone who likes to see players, but it's, it's never easy. Okay. The WNBA didn't start embracing their LGBTQ community until like two or three years ago. Um, and you know, I talked to one of their players, Lasia Clarendon, um, I interviewed her for my podcast a few weeks ago. And, you know, she said like, it used to be, even when they first started in 2014, she was in Indiana playing for the Indiana fever and they called it diversity night, you know, really trying to talk about it in this coded, yeah. language yeah. and and so it, it's a tough thing for all leagues but it, what we saw in the WNBA is the players really push forward both on um, race issues of race and issues of sexuality really push the league forward and I don't see really any of that from the players on the WTA and I think there's a lot of reasons for it it's just a much more individual sport right yeah. there's not the and it's I constantly mean, moving there's it's constantly moving you're all around any sort of uh, unionization is difficult right yeah. or or labor or discussion it, it's really hard and you don't have a team you know to talk about this stuff with yeah. um, and you don't really want to step out on a limb so I understand but it's still I think disappointing so that's from a corporate level we'll get to the players too because obviously like I mentioned before there's tons of out women in uh, WNBA and the women's soccer. Obviously, there's prominent ones in the women's national team. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, Abby Wambach, so on and so on. And obviously, I think there's even a, I believe, a trans player in NWHL who, yes. who came out as trans uh, midway through now his uh, playing career there. Yeah. Um, so the question we got, one of the questions we got in advance this episode is from our listener, Nathan Miller, who asks more specifically about the ATP. Uh, so the GBT players on ATP circuit, do you think that other players and the tour will be welcoming to players coming out? Do you think the lack of players is driven by the lack of professional GBT players on the circuit, uh, professional pressure to stay closeted, or personal pressures outside of tennis, i.e. families, etc.? And would a, public, a publicly out player have to worry about travel to countries that are less accepting than the U.S.? That's, that is part of it. And I know there are some players, I've spoken to a couple women, who are more out, who are lower ranked players outside the top 100. That's the sort of the other surprising thing. It's just there's no like token out le- lesbian torchbearer right now. Women. Yeah, so I don't want to say but, the word token, but I think that, you know, there, there is nobody who's really uh, taking this up as a cause. And look, I understand. I, you know, I, I really am a big fan of athlete activism and, and cover it a lot, but I always want to make it clear that I don't know that I understand why you wouldn't take this stuff right. on during your it. careers. Yeah. Careers are short. Athletic careers are very, very short. Yeah. And you have to be selfish during them, right? Like you just do. Especially tennis. Especially You're selfish people. Yeah. I mean, I mean need. You, yeah, you just have to be. And so, so I get it. And I don't want anyone to think that like I'm looking down on players for not stepping up. Um, but I would like that there for there somehow to be a cultivated environment where there is some sort of acceptance. But look, Nathan, I, I agree. Like I think that international travel is a big part of it. You're going, you're traveling to a lot of different places. You have a lot of, you're a melting pot of cultures and there's a lot of unknown. I think that's certainly part of it. Um, there are big tournaments in the Middle East, things like that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and um, Russia, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are tournaments in Russia. I also think that we have, 
It's interesting, like Roddick and James Blake and Marty Fish are all members of Athlete Ally. Um, so they've all really spoken up. And I actually, James Blake, a few years ago here, um, I'll, I'll try and, and share this article, but he had a wonderful uh, quote. I asked him about his work with Athlete, Athlete Ally when he was still playing, and he talked about the importance of, you know, making it a safe space for athletes to come out and making the locker room a safe space. But obviously the three of them are no longer playing anymore. Yep. And I don't see any, any other ATP players, you know, no. uh, coming out and, and being supportive of, of that. I mean, I will say during like the Margaret Court uh, arena controversy was sort of got most talked about during the French Open, uh, Andy Murray like said very positive things about sort of supporting gay people and gay rights. And, and generally the players all did for the most part. The couple, there were a couple women, uh, Mladenovic and Bouchard, who said sort of like no comment. But otherwise, there were people were mostly at least, if not like, oh, the name must be changed, must be changed, must be changed. At the very least, saying like, look, like, I believe in equal rights and gay marriage, and all these things are obvious because it's a generational thing, largely. I mean, yeah. people, people in their twenties. So it's just, it's just a little bit anomalous. I think there hasn't been anybody out in tennis actively. There've been a few past players. Uh, Brian Bahali famously yes. was the one this year who came out uh, or did an interview with, he was already out, but John Wertheim did a podcast with him where he talked about that. Great lesson. Great yeah. Lesson. And so, and for him, it was sort of a, a non-event, but I think it was still useful for, because there have been players like Sergei Stokowski who have denied that there could, there are any, you know, gay men in the, in the ATP locker rooms. And you just don't know. You don't know. And saying clearly... really bigoted stuff, like I would know if there were, like, that's yeah. not how this works, yeah. you know, like no. you would not know, you no. know. Um, let's, other other issues. You mentioned the money, obviously, is going on here, and there is still a pay gap in tennis. Yes, um, it is. Women tennis rightly celebrates a lot of what it's done on equal pay, um, and it's doing better really than any other major, uh, you know, uh, combined sport in terms of that. In terms of pay being comparable, and famously at the four majors, it's the same. Indy Wells in Miami. And Madrid, it's also the same. <laughs> I will add that the recent tournament directors of both Indian Wells and Madrid have not made very supportive comments about women's tennis and equal pay in recent years. I don't give them much credit. <laughs> no, but they're doing it, and it's part of, and it's something they've done. But there's still a big difference, and it bears out. I did a story sort of breaking down all the numbers, which are not all that readily available, available honestly, in terms of stuff, but looking at the pay gap over the last several years in tennis, a lot of fun data entry. And um, it and this and it's basically still women get paid roughly like seventy nine percent of what men get, which is not perfect. It's so much better than like WNBA versus NBA, obviously, where it's like they probably get paid like six cents on the dollar, honestly. But it's it's still something to work at, and you see tournaments still coming up this this uh, summer. Uh, Cincinnati is the main one that bugs me. Uh, Cincinnati is masters event for the men and a, a premier five event for the women they call it which is essentially like sort of the fifth through nine so it's still from as i say it it's still a top nine event on both tours it's still like roughly the women kind of break their thousand level events into thousands and nine hundreds and so it's a nine hundred and therefore they that allows for the women to get paid significantly less and i think it's an it's a usda owned event I that's, think, that's I think, the biggest and, thing and there. the USDA makes such a big deal bragging about its equal pay and history of it rightly so although it wasn't as smooth as they make it all, all out to seem in terms of when it first started in 1973 um, it's uh, it's something that I think still can be smoothed over and improved and, and you see a more extreme example of it here at the City Open uh, where the pay difference I think the men's champ gets more than seven times what the women's champ gets obviously there's a slightly there's a, there's a disparity in the tier of the tournaments but um, where the men are playing a 500 and the women are playing a international, which is equivalent to like a 250 on the men's tour. 
Um, but I can tell you the, the men, women's tournament at Stanford, which is roughly, it's a premiere, so it's roughly the same as a 500. Um, again, this is all the nomenclature getting all messy, like you mentioned before. It's still significantly less money on offer in Stanford than for the men here. And here in Washington, men and women are sold together as one ticket. Fans come to see both. Fans freely float between both tours. Uh, there's not a marked difference between, uh, I don't think, maybe, I mean, not really. I mean, the, the field's a little better for the men in general. The women's field is insanely good for an international level this year, especially with Simona Halep playing Lenovich. Sloan is unseated playing Hallett first round. I mean, there's a really good field. Um, but the court placement, as you know, has been very disparate. And, and, and it's, a lot of, it's a lot of background, that's sorry. But, like, they, the women did sort of agree to this when, they, when these events could be combined. Because this has a lot of heritage, this tournament, as an ATP event. It's been an ATP event. I think it's coming up on its 50th year next year. And the men sort of said, okay, as a condition of joining us, you're going to get all the crappiest time slots and court placements. And the women were like, okay. And with very few exceptions, the tournament has held to that. I remember seeing a match. There was a match, I want to say it was Tomic versus Young on Stadium last year. And at the same time, Stoser versus Wozniacki was starting on Grandstand 1. Oh, and I it remember was like, that. You couldn't even get in. It was standing just, room yeah. only there, and it was almost completely empty for Tomic Young. Yeah. And, yeah, so all that is to say, Lindsay, I guess, what do you, what do you make of sort of this sort of continued imperfectness of this a shared workspace between these two tours, which are separate organizations, but do share space most of the year? Yeah, I think that it's really stark here, like you mentioned at the City Open. It's it, it's really made it such a more valuable tournament to have the women here, yeah. and just the whole tournament has improved so much. I came here maybe one or two years when it was men only, and then, what was it, 2012 when the first was the combined, first combined? Yeah, so the women were separate in 2011 and over in College Park, Maryland, and now they combined in 2012 on. Yeah, and I think that it's... It, it's just such a better facility. It's such a better tournament. I see more people coming. You know, there's so much excitement for it. And the women's purse is $250,000 for the entire tournament. That's the, you know, prize money for everything, whereas the men are at $2 million. So, you know, that's a huge difference um, that we're looking that's at. eight to one. Yeah. And it is... Now, you do have half the women. The women's field is 32, whereas the men's 64. Or 48, 48. 48. Okay, 48. But still, still, the math isn't. It doesn't look friendly. And I, when you first reported on this, and you did really great reporting on this a few few weeks ago, or a few, a few years, years ago, ago yeah. excuse me. But the fact that the that the W the WNBA, good lord, you guys, I have been doing too much at once. But the WTA signed a contract that agreed without any caveats to be completely pushed to the side here uh, was really disappointing for me. It's unideal. And I understand, and I know people who work for WTA are probably listening to this and will say, oh, they're different tiers. And it's true. And this is not a premier level tournament. Um, I think the men essentially wanted it to be, uh, wouldn't even let it be a premier tournament. I don't think they could upgrade if they wanted to. I thought there was a chance um, when San Diego, which was a premier tournament, left San Diego, that, they, that Washington could get that premier sanction and move up a level. I thought that would make sense. Really great uh, crowds here, really good stable base, and it would make it on par with the men. And I think that was just not even really considered because of the existing sort of men's uh, uh, contractual subjugation, or whatever you want to call it. It's, it I mean, it, it's not perfect. Obviously, Wimbledon, I think, is probably more problematic with their... Well, there's less excuse at Wimbledon where the men get two slots on center court every day and the women get one uh, for the first uh, eight days or so or whatever the tournament or for the first, you know, through the fourth round uh, and court one also. And those are ones where they're obviously completely equal. Same TV deal, same everything for the slams. 
for the for for here, it's just sort of a it's a, it's a weird thing. And fans do notice it, and fans are like, "Why are these women's matches not on stadium?" And it's so the explanation you have to get gets so into the weeds about oh well tears and sanctions and agreements and da 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 da. I idealistically wish there was some way to, to smooth it over and make it better. I understand there's a lot of you know clunky paperwork, but for to bring it back to Cincinnati, which is a, a, a smaller pay disparity. Uh, if Cincinnati wanted to up, if upgrade to being a premier mandatory, to being one of those biggest events, I'm sure they could do it. I'm sure the women's players would be really into it. I'm sure they would appreciate the extra money and 100 extra points. And it's not a big difference, really, between being... They all play anyway, pretty much. That, that's a full all-hands-on-deck yeah, attendance Yeah, I didn't realize it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Right. So that, that's because, a, that's but I also, like I said, I hate, I hate these distinctions on yeah. the WTA rankings. They need to change those. Yeah. Quickly. Like that's it's the one thing I think the ATP does better. It's yeah. just like you can you clearly understand like yeah. uh, you know the number system. But um, yeah, look, all of this just signals that there's still a long way to go, right? And tennis is still, in many ways, shooting itself in the foot. And this is something I know that John Wertheim says a lot that it ends up being, you know squabbling over you know pennies in order to keep anyone from getting dollars because at the end of the day you're not having I understand I don't think that you should have to guarantee that women's matches will get certain court placements here given the field but it's sad when there is a marquee match like a Halep versus, versus Sloan Stevens the first round match and I don't know, think it'll be on stadium and, you, and if it is it'll be either two o'clock in the afternoon or like 10 o'clock when, at night. Or, or yeah or super late you know won't be able to get any sort of premier billing, and that is bad for everyone, I think, because yeah. that's a great match. Yeah, or it'll just or, be put on, on Grandstand be. One. Yeah, it'll be. It'll. My, my guess is it'll be on Grandstand One at, at, at like. Prime time. Yeah, at Lake Seven, and that's that's fine, but it's. It's going to be overflowing that court. I mean, you're getting the number two player in the world in Simona Halep against a popular American who was on the Olympic team last year, who's made a Slam semi. It, it, it's unfortunate, and so I, I, I hope there's, and we'll see if it's, I don't know, this is probably naive to even mention this, but there is a female tournament director here for the first time this year. I don't know if she will have different sort of priorities or different sway uh, in this. I'll, I'm curious to see, how, I haven't spoken to her, I've never met her actually yet, um, but I'm curious to see how, if, if at all, uh, she addresses these issues or if her, if her hands are tied, which is entirely possible. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Um, just on that sort of advocacy front, and there are some players who've spoken out about this more, the equal pay stuff. Uh, Nicole Gibbs comes to mind. She's spoken out about all sorts of issues, but she's on equal pay. Uh, Venus has been a sort of a mostly quiet but steadfast supporter of that. Serena's come into her own voice, I think, later in her career about it. Andrea Pekovic, sort of the usual suspects of, like, the ones who say these things. Um, how important is that, do you think, for the, these women, especially in bringing this back to your other sport experience, to stay vocal... Uh, you know, labor activists, for lack of a better word, you know, I mean, to be sort of, if not they're not actually in a union, to at least be on board and supportive and uh, boisterous when need be about the need for, for better working conditions and better treatment. I think it's key and it's the only way forward, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. Billie Jean King being is the only reason why tennis is so far ahead, right? There wasn't some uh, beacon of light in the sky who just wanted to award everyone, you know, this because they felt it was the right thing to do, you know? She fought for it and she got the rest of the players to fight for this. And the fight has to continue. And look, we're in a place with women's sports, even tennis, where I constantly see women's sports basically playing for their life. I mean, every single match is not a referendum 
on that match. It's a referendum on women's sports or women's tennis as a whole. And I know that, you know, fans of this podcast have seen this tons of time of Serena, you know, wipes out an opponent in the semifinals or the finals of a slam. It's not, the talk isn't about great, you know, it's about how, what what are these women doing? At least that is mentioned, or at least it is like, Oh, it was only a you know 58-minute match today, and the fans paid this much money. Don't you feel like they've been cheated? Blah blah blah. Whatever. This happened last year at Wimbledon when there were two relatively short semifinals with Serena clobbering Vesnina and a longer like a, I think like a six-three, six-four, but still fast-paced Kerber-Venus match. Um, and yeah, and those things happen. Those just don't happen about the men. I, and I try reflexively sometimes, and if people see this obviously I'm a broken record about you know sort of calling out <laughs> mediocre men's product when it happens and it's happened a fair amount at the slams this summer and part of that is a, a conscious effort of trying to provide a balance and just being like you know look the women get this crap too fairly or unfairly and so when the men deliver lackluster slams like happened at both the French Open and Wimbledon this year yeah. I think really um, they, de- they deserve equal sort of scrutiny and equal sort of it's not just great because it was best of five it, it's you know it has to be a good thing and look they're going to be bad matches they're going to yeah. be you know you're going to have bad finals you're going to have you know, bad tournaments. You're, you don't. Everything's not going to be an epic. You know, on either tour. That's just not how sports works. Yeah. I'm, I, to get it's sort of an odd pivot, but to get away from this to sort of sort of advocacy part of it, uh, Simona Halep was asked about comments that Jan Tiriak, who's the aforement, afore alluded to, tournament director of Madrid, made uh, to a French newspaper, I think during the during the French Open, saying that um, he didn't think that the women should get equal pay. And, at, at combined events, which he said before, it's nothing really new. And Halep was asked about this in press, and Halep didn't give, I don't think, a very satisfactory answer. I'll put it that way. And just sort of, and Halep's in a, in a position. She's had this a lot this year and last year a little bit too, simply where she's been sort of made fairly or unfairly to respond to comments made by Romanian figures in the sport. And Halep, Romania, Romanian tennis is this pretty small, insular place, and I think she feels a little bit, from what I can tell from her behavior, beholden to these guys, and that they have, you know, sort of her fate and, you know, financial future in their hands, which is maybe true and is unfortunate. And I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but she's sort of an example of somebody who, and she said, yeah, she sort of made, she sort of didn't say either way, but then sort of made an argument for why women might not deserve equal pay. Which was she said like oh well sometimes I see the the men have more people at their at their courts and there are a lot of people at my court today too but sometimes the men have more that's all I can say I don't know wishes from an, a leading women's player is not what you want to hear in in theory and it's not I don't think Billie Jean King to use your previous invocation would have been thrilled with that so I, I don't know how how harmful you think that is or, or what uh, yeah I have a lot of thoughts on this topic uh, number one that women internalize misogyny too and women are consuming the exact same media that the men are consuming for the most part and women grow up hearing the same things and hearing the same arguments and it seeps into you right and and so I I hear often if about women's sports well why aren't more women watching them and it's like because because if they're casual fans they don't know about them because nobody's telling them about these these sports you know so I I really try and look at all this with a nuanced point of view which isn't always awarded in my (laughs) line of work I really have a lot of sympathy for Simona, maybe more than I should in this place, because I think she has internalized this. And this is the, I mean, these are the two of the biggest influences on her career, it seems like, you know, Tyriac and Nastase, you know, they both like, and of course she feels tied to them in some ways. Yeah. I, I don't know. And, and it's tough. And, and we had Jamie Hampton on NCR 
a couple a few months ago before I left for Europe, so it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and she was saying, admitting, and which is not uncommon among women's players, that initially she was not for, or maybe not for is the wrong word, but not like a real strong advocate for equal prize money. She was like, look, the men play best of five, and they're, you know, they their their product is tougher and so she had sort of heard those same things and then like it was sort of a later in life revelation or sort of progress progressive you know realizing that hey no i work just as hard as these guys and i deserve equality equal pay just and that i'm a woman shouldn't hold it back because the women have of recently it's been you probably mentioned this in your article you mentioned that goes into history best of five women have at various times offered to play best of five yeah and or even just best of five finals or something like that and it's gone back and forth different times uh, and right now, no, and, I, and obviously, y'all know where I stand. I think everybody should play best of three, and best of five is a bad product for bad format, certainly for early rounds for all, all people. Do you feel that way, Ben? I, I don't know. I've, I've, <laughs> I follow me on Twitter, and I hear those things sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, yeah. But I, I think I think it's I think there. I would like to. I hope that Simona and other people can sort of find their voice, and I hope that there is some mentorship on WTA, and that someone like a Billie Jean gets to Simona because Billie Jean's still actively like a mentoring player she has these things called the, the, the uh, power hour or something like that they yeah. do at the, at the uh, US Open every year and I think Simona's probably already been through it but I, th- I think that just like I, Courtney and I have mentioned, said this before on the podcast but I think in a lot of ways for better or worse being a female athlete is like an inherently political Oh, pursuit. it is. That's why I think you yeah. see so many activists as female yeah. athletes. And just doing it, just being a female athlete defies social expectations. Maybe mm-hmm. less so than it used to. Yeah, it's and less so in tennis, where because of the work Billie Jean King done, and because of stupid things like the 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 feminine uniforms, yeah. you know, they wear. You, you to know, wear a skirt. Seen, yeah. yeah, it's seen a little bit more. You know, less as fitting in. Yeah, yeah. Less yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I, I really do try and see this. Look, women are taught to be happy with what they have and to uphold the patriarchy too. You know, I mean, it's just true, and it, it, it's hard, and it's it's hard, especially when you are already getting so much, right? And, and that's how, which is where tennis is these days. You know, players at the top. I mean, Simona Halep's making plenty of money, right? A like, lot like, of money. Like she's doing fine with herself, and she's going to be fine pretty much for the rest of her life unless she does something wrong. You know, and. And there's, and that's wonderful. And a lot of people fall really hard for her to get that to that place. And she might not realize that. And she might not realize that even if you have a lot, you can still fight for more if it's over yeah. a principle. I remember people talking about that with Azarenka when she was getting to number one back in 2012. And it wasn't so much about the equal pay stuff, but it was that she was very dismissive and sort of hard to work with on media fronts and very tough in interviews and very just sort of not accommodating. And people saying like, and this is mentioned a little bit in uh, in the movie I just saw the Battle of the Sexist movie and Courtney's seen it too I think we'll probably talk about it on a later episode at some point but uh, the amount of sort of like door to door hustling that someone had to do like standing out on the intersections of, of the city so the tournaments were paying giving out tickets and things like that and talking to reporters and like the, the tournament there's famous stories where like the newspapers would send like their fashion reporter to cover uh, the match and so like 10 minutes before she's playing a final Billie Jean would sit down with the fashion reporter teach him about tennis score like oh so 15 love 30 love things like that and just like the amount of hustle they had to do and so now it's a sign of progress in some ways that the women can feel complacent but it's also dangerous yeah so speaking of Romania last thing I know you were looking, <laughs> reading up on this right before we came on air uh, we haven't talked we haven't done a show since Elena Stasi was uh, ruled on by the ITF uh, given a ban uh, after his Fed Cup Fed Cup misconduct. <laughs> so yeah, so so what are your thoughts on, on that and the ruling? And we'll just sort of make you that just sort of local to itself. 
Yeah, I was glad that the ruling seemed to see through his I didn't mean any harm excuses. And because, I have black friends. Yeah, I mean... I, I was mean, friends with Arthur Ashe. I'm not racist. Yeah, it, it was... His defenses were insulting, especially for... Like, in like, the ITF's decision, they were like, you've, you've traveled internationally your whole life. Like, you know better than this. You're just yeah. choosing not to. And look, I think it was good. I think he probably should have, you know, there's been problems with him for a while now. But look, I'm glad... I'm glad he didn't get away with this. I'm glad the ITF stood up, and I hope that Cass will, you know, if they are called on, if yeah. they are called on, will will uphold these rulings because there's just no, there's just no room for that. I mean, what he did from start to finish was just a, appalling. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the, the sort of laundry list of charges of racism, sexism, vulgarity, yeah. abuse of uh, reporters, which Eleanor uh, Crooks, who Courtney and I are both friendly with. Uh, who's wonderful and just like should not be subjected to any of his nonsense. Uh, yeah, I think it was all pretty open shot, and it was it was it was it was satisfying seeing them not shy away from those sort of things and not trying to buy any of these excuses or not trying to downplay the severity of uh, what was pretty over racism. Yeah. If not if not traditional, it was a little bit oddly phrased. The whole like the whole his whole comments about Serena's baby are just more bizarre. They're firstly bizarre. Like, there have been interracial babies before. I don't know if you're aware of this, Illy. And second of all, just, like, pointless, but also still insidious in their own ways. Yeah, and, and I so, just love yeah. the ITF being like, there's no reason you should be commenting on the color of her baby. Like, yeah. just being like, hi, like, this is not hard no. to not comment. It's not hard to not comment on the color of someone's baby. Huh, it's just not. It's just not that hard. I agree with that. Um, so yeah. So I was very, very, very happy. It is funny and, and, as you said, satisfying to read the beginning where it's like he broke articles one, two, three, four, five, six of like the ethics code. Like yeah. it just like it feel like it's a scroll that's just gonna keep going. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. So last thing before I let you go. Um, actually, I'll, I'll just say our general sign off. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to the NCR. This week, if you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. Send us emails, questions, comments, whatever. No challenges remaining at gmail.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes and any other podcasting app of your choice. And get episodes delivered automatically to you there. You also have a podcast, which I want to plug right here, (laughs) which is called Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down. It is a sports and feminism podcast, and we do touch on tennis, of course, a lot. You have a lot of other co-hosts. Yeah, there's a lot of other co-hosts, brilliant women in the business, Shereen Ahmed, Julie DeCaro, uh, Brenda Elsie, and Jessica Luther is the regular bunch. We have a lot of uh, women, gender non-binary guests. Courtney's Um, been on it. Courtney's been on it, which was great. Like I said, we do talk tennis as much as we can. We it's not just women's sports. We like to give women's sports equal billing to men's sports, and look at least, look yeah. at, at, at least and look at all these things through kind of a progressive feminist lens. So uh, please, please uh, burn it all down on iTunes. Thank I you. will give you sort of the floor for our typical rant rave segment at the end here. I know you have feelings about a recently inducted gentleman <laughs> and his, his speech and everything. And you mentioned earlier you alluded to Andy Roddick and his. Uh, sort of formative place in your uh, career. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't think that I would have been on this path if it wasn't for Andy Roddick. Like, I know that's a lot of power to give one person who I've never, you know, who doesn't know who I am, but, like, that's just kind of how it works. I mean, I was a super fan, you know? I mean, I watched... You know, was watch wake up in the middle of the night to watch the matches. You know, uh, see got fans just loved following his career, loved um, his outspokenness, his personality, the way you know 
how hard he worked to maximize all his gifts. I I understand why he retired early, but I I do wish that he I think he could have done more. He did retire early, and he's like the only person. I really think only most prominent player recently to really retire early. Yeah. Really the only one. In this era where there's so much prize money around, he was the lone one I could think of who like I felt like still had time left, if not to be a top five player necessarily, at least to like be a top twenty player. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh he would have yeah. been a top twenty player for years, yeah. you know, and would have gotten into the top ten sometimes and look it's it is disappointing. Um, I'm not gonna lie, but I totally understand. I mean he look he's and they talked about this in this Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame speech. Doug Spreen, his trainer for all these years, uh, and, and talked about his. Um, it was the one who introduced him and you know gave his, uh, gave a speech and. They, they talked about his foundation, and look, he's been really committed to that since, like, the very beginning of his career. And, like, not in – I'm not saying all athletes are superficially dedicated, their, but there's a different degree of kind of dedication. And, you know, he had always said – I mean, and he's just always been a guy who's been very kind of firm in his beliefs. And, you know, he said early, early on that – he didn't want to compete anymore unless he didn't want to just be floating around in the he rankings. Didn't want to exist on tour, I think. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I, I think that he could have not just existed on tour for a while longer, and I was disappointed. But uh, he seems to be happy. He and Brooklyn are having another baby. And oh, I didn't look, know that. Yeah, they're having another baby. It was really great to um, get to see him talk and get to see the kind of gang back together. We, we uh, Ben and I interviewed Marty at the Castles, the World Team Tennis, and he said that they all had a really good time, you know, kind of reuniting that old Davis Cup gang. And look, there's there's not going to be another Andy Roddick. And I think now American tennis misses him more than ever. And it's interesting to see a lot of tennis fans who really hated him when he was on tour. Uh, I think a lot of people look at him with a little softer lens now, yeah. um, given how hard he worked, how much he tried, which I honestly feel like we don't see a lot of players do that much these days, and and how outspoken he was, right? I mean, he would always give you a good quote. It might not have been the quote you wanted, yeah. but he would give you a good quote. There you go. So that is Lindsay Gibbs on Andy Roddy. Thank you very much, Lindsay, for joining us. Uh, obviously, burn it all down. It's a podcast. You're also on Twitter, at Lynn Sports. We are NCR Tennis. You, I, you mentioned this earlier. I'm going to make you get this question again. What is your theme music? I don't want you to ask me this question again. <laughs> you should have seen it coming, though. No, but I thought, I thought like that that was my so not subtle way of saying, like, I don't want to be asked this question. I would like you to give me something really just, like, fun and 90s poppy. Like, can we get, like, a Backstreet Boys playing me off? Yes. Okay, thank you. Bye, Liz. Bye.